0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. We are live on a Monday, debut edition of the show on World Soccer Talk. Very excited for that. Let's do the business off the top before we get into the headlines and our excellent lineup of guests today. The first things first. If uh if you are hearing about the move to World Soccer Talk for the first time, uh, and you get your you get the show through SoundCloud or Stitcher or iTunes or some RSS feed thing, don't worry, you don't have to change anything. You're good. Everything's cool. The show will live live over at WorldSoccerTalk.com/live. Very excited for that. And you can also, if you haven't subscribed already, you can also subscribe through World Soccer Talk. So there you go. Very excited to be here landing at World Soccer Talk on a Monday. Big show for you today. Let's first uh, line up the guests for the program. Stefan Ersfeld, our German correspondent, will join us to talk about the Bundesliga results from the weekend. Big, big scorelines in the Bundesliga over the weekend. Plenty to talk about there. And then at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Paul Tenorio of the Orlando Sentinel will join us to talk about Orlando City SC and their preparations for 2015 as they creep closer and closer to their debut as an as a Major League Soccer club, lots of tickets sold for that opening game at the uh, Citrus Bowl. Breck Shea and his positional moves. What does uh, what does the buzz feel like in Orlando? How is the stadium progressing in Orlando? Is Adrian Heath the guy to lead Orlando City to the playoffs in year one? Lots of questions there. That. Paul Tenorio may or may not have the answers to, but it should be a good discussion either way. Let's do your headlines here this morning on a Monday before we get to Stefan Ersfeld and talk Germany. In American soccer circles, is there any news bigger than the news that Dom Dwyer and Sydney LaRue are married now? I'm not sure that there's any bigger news out there. I mean, a thing that happened this weekend, we all, we, we didn't know. We knew they were dating because they revealed that in December. But now we find out that they're married. They got married last month. Congratulations to the happy couple. I guess they've uh, purchased a home in Kansas City where Dom plays, obviously. Uh, good times for some uh, very athletic people and good stuff there. And, it, uh, you know, if you don't follow Sydney LaRue or Dom Dwyer on social media, this is just a reminder that you should probably be doing that because you miss out on these things if you don't follow them on social media. In the FA Cup this weekend, League One side Bradford City knocked out Sunderland. That was your giant killing of the weekend. Otherwise, FA Cup results pretty standard. West Brom beating West Ham. Okay, whatever. Blackburn actually. uh, oh, I forgot about this one. Blackburn Rovers crushing Stoke four to one. You had Reading, in that, Reading beating Derby. Okay, Crystal Palace uh, falling to Liverpool. No surprise there. And then yeah, the, uh, Sunday's uh, results: Arsenal getting through by beating um, Leicester City, and then I'm sorry, Arsenal beating Middlesbrough. Aston Villa beating Leicester City. Speaking of Aston, Aston Villa, they have signed a new head. Uh, they have hired a new manager to replace Paul Lambert, and it's Tom Sherwood. Now, not being English myself, I don't really understand the fascination with Tom Sherwood. I'm not saying the man is not qualified for the position, but he is certainly a risky proposition for Aston Villa, for a club that needs some momentum to get themselves, pull themselves out of the relegation zone, stay out of the relegation zone. I mean, it would be a disaster to see Aston Villa go down to the championship. Certainly that would be one of the more surprising relegations of the last couple of seasons. We've had some yo-yo clubs. We've had some some smaller clubs come up, make uh you know have a good season or you know have a season in the Premier League and then go right back down. To have Aston Villa fall out of the Premier League be a pretty big deal. Be on the on the level of Newcastle going down a couple years ago before they came back up. We'll see if if, if Villa uh, under Tom Sherwood is did, but they get a they get a win. It's the, it's the FA Cup. It doesn't mean as much. It's not going to help them in the league clearly. But to get a, to get a win over Leicester City, another Premier League side, yeah, a relegation candidate Premier League side in their first match is probably a good thing, a good sign of things to come, perhaps. Barcelona crushed Levante 5 nothing. That game is notable for a couple of reasons. Number one, Barcelona's 11th straight win, but Messi, Lionel Messi, the world's best player, Lionel Messi, now has records for goals, 269, hat tricks, 23, and assists, 106. In La Liga. He is a machine, and now all of a sudden we've got a Barcelona that had struggled out of the gates with Luis Enrique at the helm that is now on absolute fire. And, you, and it, based on the way things have gone in Madrid, as compared to the way things have gone in Barcelona, it's starting to look like this is going to be Barcelona's title to win. But we'll see. Real Madrid, obviously, with plenty of talent. Atletico Madrid with a loss this weekend as well. A uh, bit of a blow for them. In the Bundesliga, before we get to Stefan Ersfeld, let's set this up. Dortmund came back from a two-goal deficit to beat Mines on Friday. Wolfsburg beat Leverkusen 4-5 in a, an absolute thriller. And Bayern Munich, juggernaut Bayern Munich, dropped eight goals on Hamburg. Eight-nothing they won that game. Uh, just get out of their way, right? They dropped an ocho, as uh, Trevor is coining a phrase. I will see if that one catches on. I'm not sure that's gonna. I'm not sure that's gonna sweep the nation. Dropping the ocho. All right, let's uh, let's take a break. Let's get Stefan Ersfeld on the line. You are listening to Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. dot com. Thank you very much for partaking in the program. We'll be right back. Talk some Bundesliga.
2: Two, three,
0: four. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis.
1: Here we go, Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk, and we are now happy to have on the phone line Stefan Ersfeld. Talk a little Bundesliga. Stefan, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. I imagine that you had uh, quite the fun football weekend with uh, with some of these results that we saw in the Bundesliga. We absolutely have to talk about young Julian Green and his current situation. But let's, let's talk about some of these results. I'm going to go back to, to Friday because, you know, again, the, the plight of Borussia Dortmund this season, endlessly fascinating questions of whether or not a club of that size with that most, that, that recent success could conceivably be a relegation, uh, uh, be relegated this season. They fall behind by two and ultimately make a, make a big comeback. Is that a turning point for them?
3: So, well, they fell behind by one goal, but it's oh, still a turning point for uh, for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, we called it back-to-back victory for the first time uh, or second time this season. And uh, while it's still only being one point clear of the relegation zone, it appears they actually achieved a turnaround with uh, after Marco Reus sealed uh, the new deal. Um, he was just world-class on, on Friday evening. Him and uh, Aubameyang, the striker from Gabon, they linked up, and uh, Aubameyang scored three goals in the last two games. A great attacker appears to actually fill in the, the Lewandowski gap, slowly fill in the Lewandowski gap. So, um, Dortmund's getting there, and uh, I was at the stadium on on Friday, and a great atmosphere. Um, just you could sense the relief uh, going to the Dortmund fans toward the end of the match. So, um definitely a turning point uh, they, they're they playing Stuttgart bottom of the league on Friday so um, this is going to be an important match uh, to steer clear of the relegation zone and uh not get back in there before the Juventus match next week.
1: Uh, uh, look, I mean, this was mine. This is not a top-half team. This is not a challenger for anything in particular. Uh, as you said, they fell behind by one goal, my mistake. Uh, was there anything different about the approach from Klopp, or was it just a matter of attitude, and as you mentioned, filling in that Lewandowski gap?
3: Uh, well, first half was uh, pretty disastrous again. Um, they conceded after 55 seconds, and... um had one great chance uh, where Rice hit the crossbar after two minutes, but after that uh, you sense they they're very nervous and um, given up towards the end uh, of the first half. But uh, they just got out of the, the dressing room in the second half, and uh, something had changed. Um, much more dynamic, and um, the holding midfield worked really well. Um, but you can still see that the defence is shaky. So um, and it's been mine. So um, they're not gonna like rocket into Champions League ranks now. Uh, but they should be safe, and that's all that matters for Dortmund this season.
1: Now on Saturday, it's one point uh, clear of the relegation zone for Dortmund after that win, as you said, back-to-back victories. Perhaps things are turning around uh, there at BVB. Uh, turning to the matches on Saturday, uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Wolfsburg, 4-5, four, four to five, Vol- uh, uh, Wolfsburg ends up with the victory, is it possible in, in, you know, in a couple of minutes to even tell the story of a match that brings us nine goals?
3: Oh, <laughs> well, it's crazy. Um, uh, Wolfsburg went three up, uh, they were three up at half time and it all looked like, um, well, they won it. Uh, so, Leverkusen made three changes at half time and, uh, scored a goal where, uh, um, Wolfsburg's keeper already had the hands on the ball, but the ref awarded the goal, uh, anyway. for son, Scored the 3-1. And uh, all of a sudden it was 2-3. Again, some hitting the ball, the goal, and uh Wolfsburg answered 4-2. Third, uh, third goal by Bastos, the Dutch attacker who hadn't scored at all for Wolfsburg before. And uh, it was 4-4 minutes later and with only like 10 seconds, maybe two left to be played in extra and savage time. Bastos again scored his fourth goal of uh, of the match, um, making it eight goals in his last five Bundesliga games. Wow. And he had scored 13 before in the, his first 46 Bundesliga games. Wow. <laughs> so, well, that's a turnaround for him as that's, well. <laughs>
1: that, that's quite the, the scoring streak. I imagine, you know, um, no, you don't see too many four goal games from players. Uh, is that uh, I imagine that's fairly rare.
3: It is, indeed. Um well, you don't see a lot of uh, four goal games in Bundesliga yes. as well. Um, teams <laughs> score goal, three man. goals maybe and sometimes Bayern scores four, um or if uh, well Wolfsburg scored four against Bayern actually, but uh, for one player doesn't happen that often and uh well came to uh, to Wolfsburg with um Having scored 32 goals for V in the Dutch side, that was in 2012. And uh, but he was injured; he was ill, and uh, it took him two and a half years to actually arrive in Bundesliga. But he's here with a bang now.
1: We we know, uh, you know, Americans certainly know from experience that those goal totals in in the Eredivisie don't always translate over to top to top leagues. And no offense to the Dutch, obviously, that that's a. Uh, a league with a lot of legacy but it, it, there's not a whole lot of uh, defensive effort being put forth in in uh, the Netherlands these days so those go those in goal tuts, those goal totals get pretty gaudy um so this was for you think you think for Bastos this was a, a an adjustment period you said that you mentioned the injury but i mean is it is it is it take does it take some time and and how would that you know let's let's just uh, make it a bigger question is how how is, should that impact how clubs go about signing players who are prolific in some of these uh, smaller leagues
3: you always need to allow them time. Well, you can also look at Lewandowski, um, who signed from from Poland, and that was given a year in Dortmund. And uh, Wolfsburg also ran into a lot of like changes at the the coaching position. So um, he was injured. He got to a new league, a young lad, and uh, it's just an unstructured club at the moment. But the new coach, Hacking, uh, who's been there for a while now he uh, has all confidence in him. So um, during the winter break, actually, Hamburg wanted to sign either Bastos or Orlich And um, Wolfsburg said, well, we're not going to give away um, all uh, Bas Dost because he's, he's our future. Mm-hmm. And uh, allowed Orlich to join Hamburg. Um, so I think he just uh, needed time, um, maybe a bit more time than uh, other players. But he's here now, and um, all signs indicate he actually will stay in Bundesliga for a while. Because he was on his way out to to Premier League, maybe to Stoke or some other club or uh, during the winter break.
1: Now, uh, Wolfsburg absolutely needed that victory to have any really dim hope of, of keeping contact with Bayern Munich, who also had a, win, a big win of their own. 8-0 against Hamburg on Saturday... Um, it was, says more about Bayern Munich or says more about Hamburg right now?
3: It says more about Hamburg right now. was a bad start for Hamburg. Uh, they conceded the first goal through a penalty, which is a handball decision. Pretty con- controversial. Second goal was scored from an apparent offside position. So um, there you go. You conceded the first two goals, and uh, after that, they just fell apart. Because um, they. They played really high and tried to still try to attack, which didn't work out. Or didn't have much of the possession, of course, and Hamburg are just a well, a disaster.
1: Now we we're going to come back to Hamburg in a in a, in a minute. Um, but otherwise, other than those two, obviously big score lines, uh, was there anything else to take away from the from the German weekend? Again, uh, you know, Bayern Munich clear, eight points clear of Wolfsburg at the top of the league, but you obviously you know you obviously some jockeying and and some potential for for uh, intrigue at other places especially at the bottom with Dortmund but but they they get themselves out of the relegation zone for the time being where else are you looking right now
3: Vada uh, Bremen is so far the story of the second half of the season so far they won their last five games and moved on up from 18 on match day 16 up to eighth in the standing and they're only three points behind Leverkusen on sixth which are would mean qualification for the Europa League next season. Um They brought in a new coach, Viktor Skripnik, who played under their former boss, Thomas Schaaf, uh, when they were a Champions League team back in like 2004, 2005. And after years and years of uh, trying to what, buy players, and they, they bought wrong players, the ones uh, maybe Mesut Özil, who came through at that left the club. Uh, they actually found a new one, a new coach with with a new system, uh, which is working out fine for the club. And from being a relegation candidate, they are actually now a candidate for Euro- for Europa, which is weird, yeah. given uh, it's only been five match days. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's go. Let's go back. Let's talk about Julian Green, um, young U.S. Uh, um, attacker who uh, obviously made an appearance in the World Cup. We sort of review his uh, his resume, his CV every time you come on, Stefan. And, and obviously, he was loaned from Bayern Munich to Hamburg, with the with the notion being he would get some playing time. It's not going to happen. He's not going to break into the first team at and Bayern Munich for obvious reasons. Um, he has potential. Pep Guardiola has talked him up on several occasions. And it hasn't gone well in, in terms of his personal situation at Hamburg. He hasn't gotten much playing time. And we have reports now, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on any of these points, but the reports were he was demoted to the, to the U23 team. He subsequently announced, I think via Facebook or some social media apparatus that no, I haven't been asked to go to the U23s. Then reports were he refused to go play for the U23s. And now I'm seeing news that the team and the player intend to sit down and have a discussion about this issue tomorrow.
3: That's all true. Uh, it escalated really quickly last week. He, um, he was demoted to the second team and, uh, well, maybe the word demoted is too strong. Sometimes the players, uh, don't get minutes of the first team. They play the second team. Um, with Hamburg, They've got two other players, Maximilian Beiser, an attacker, and Ivic Ilovic, uh, a midfielder, who are both, um, well-experienced Bundesliga players with more than uh, 100 Bundesliga or Bundesliga 2 games. They both played in the reserve team at the weekend. But Green, Green said, well, he still wants to get back into the team, but only the first team. He's not playing for the second team. So you also had Bayern Munich, uh, CEO Karl-Heinz Rummenigge saying it's a regrettable development it's all been taking. So again, he must have had some sort of backing from Bayern because well, it's a, it's a huge step to say, um, I'm not playing for, for your team.
1: Right.
3: You don't do that. So you say, well, they're going to sit down and talk and, uh, see, uh, what happens to him now? I don't see him play um, any more first-team football at Hamburg this season. And he's going to return to Bayern, but I've, well, let's see if he can actually find a way into the Bayern squad next season. Uh. Uh, it, it, it's,
1: it, it seems a very difficult situation for him as a player. I mean, he, he obviously was playing, um, you know, he, he was he, he was playing in, for for Bayern Munich in their you know in their academy system I, I apologize their their whatever the the fourth division team that Bayern Munich has obviously he was playing very well there he needed to step up a level but you know is is this does this speak more to um his attitude or his ability his ability to contribute at the Bundesliga level or does it is is this about maybe Bayern Munich choosing the wrong path for a young player. I'm trying to determine where, I'm not saying it's necessarily anybody's fault singularly, but somebody should take responsibility for the fact that he's now in a situation where he's not going to get playing time, playing minute, he's going to get minutes at the top level, and as you said, he must have some backing from Bayern Munich to, to flat out say, I'm not going to play for the second team. I think him
3: or Bayern or whoever chose to, uh, to send him on loan or to Hamburg uh, didn't look carefully enough at the situation in Hamburg anyway because um, he played for Hamburg one match so the, the only match he played or started was under Mirko Slomko who sacked the next match day which was early September last season last year and uh, ever since there's been a new coach and he's, he's just not his player Joe Vindar's player so um, and you could see it coming that. Mirko Slomka would not stay there forever. Just, the club's been in turmoil for, for years. And I've been sacking their coaches and Joe will not last the season. It continues like that. So um and Green seems to have a lot of confidence in, in his abilities. um so that doesn't really help him to, uh, uh has the feel to it that he thinks he's a World Cup player and, uh, doesn't need to return to the fourth, fourth league like he did, uh, with, for Bayern last season.
1: I guess. This the situation. Yeah. Well, you know, it's obviously, it's obviously difficult. I mean, from an American perspective, we, we just want Julian Green to, uh, to progress, to get better, to, to perhaps realize his full potential. And, and, you know, this, this kind of speaks to the issues that, that clubs sometimes have. Especially big clubs who are able to purchase as much talent as they want in addition to trying to grow internally young players. Where do you, where do you, what do you do with them? Where do you put them? How many times do you loan them out? This is obviously the first time for Julian Green, but you know, there, there are numerous players I could, I could mention, especially in, in, in say England and, and some other places where, you know, the, the, the club keeps, the club holds on to them, but it seems like every year is another loan. And at some point, you either need to cut bait and, and sell the player on or give him an opportunity to go discover some some other possibilities, or you risk him not... I mean, if you choose to hold on to him, fine, but you need to make sure he's got a path to actually getting better. And I suppose that's the issue here. Is is Julian Green going to get better playing for the U23s in Hamburg?
3: Certainly not. But The situation right now is uh, he's at Hamburg, and uh, there's no way back to, to Munich or... Uh, before the summer, really, even if uh, they decide to end alone, now uh, he can only train with the team.
1: And, and, and look, but, and, uh, uh, he, obviously, Stefan won't play, so sometime. he has to stay there now. Yeah,
3: and uh, just just do whatever it takes for him to uh, just win minutes, get experience, train with the first team, play for the second team. It's not the perfect situation, but he's in that situation now. Um, so. There's no way out, and Bayern Munich are usually not a club who send players on loan, or just because they they want they might succeed. Well, you have the example of Tony Kroos, who played at Bayer Leverkusen, or Philip Lahm, who played at Stuttgart, or David Alaba, who played at Hoffenheim. All three on loan, all three world class players. Mm-hmm. So uh I think it's just the. Uh, the situation in Habmuk was not perfect to go to start off with, and uh, it, it went from just in, turned into a horrible season for him. So he has to make the most of it now, mm. which is then see whatever Bayern decides, and uh, maybe leaving the club altogether will help him. And because uh, there's a lot of pressure on him, and uh, you still have like Guardiola's words that he's a very, very good player. But Guardiola
1: says that about everyone. So. I know. And, and, you know, cause it's Guardiola's job to build up his, the young talent that, that's in his club. I mean, why would you not say that a young talent is, 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 good and has a bright future? Because that's only going to, you know, it's only going to fill them with confidence and, and we know how important confidence is in this game. So I don't know why. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure we should take Guardiola's, Words at face value every time, as you, as you certainly mentioned. I only have a minute or two with you here, Stefan, and I want to move to another American, uh, international playing in Germany, and that's, uh, that's John Brooks. We, we touched on John Brooks and his situation last time you were on the show. There's some question about whether or not he was going to be in the team or out of the team. He had been, he had had a great performance and then been dropped. He's back in the team. Uh, now obviously Hurt the Berlin is in trouble in terms of relegation, but he is back in the team and apparently still playing fairly well.
3: He's playing fairly well, uh, but they've got a new coach, so um, it's a new situation, Um they lost 2-0 yesterday against Freiburg, and, uh, Brooks was up there for the first goal, so, again, like, Berlin media is very critical, and, uh, they now begin to fear that the club's actually gonna get relegated once again. So, uh, Brooks, in Berlin, uh, received some, uh, bad press today, which is not good for him, but, uh, because I think he's also a player who builds a lot, often confidence.
1: He's, and, he's, uh, he, seems, he seems like a very uh, impressionable young man. I'll say it that way. I mean, I obviously don't know yeah. him, but he certainly seems like the type of player who could be have some big, some big swings up and down based on his confidence.
3: Indeed. So, um, but he should be fine because he he managed well uh, to return to the team under the new coach and. Um, he will play him, you have said that, and, and he, uh, he's also a coach who, who trusts homegrown players, so he should be fine, and, uh, just needs to build his confidence, needs to win minutes, and, uh, keep, keep his club in the league. That's <laughs> all yeah. that matters for, for Hertha, but they are only one point behind Dortmund, so, um, that's the dimension we're talking yeah. about. Okay. Still everything, or eight points behind. Yeah. Bremen, who have won five in a row. So, um, everything's possible for her to Berlin and uh, also for John Brooks, even though uh, he caused one goal yesterday.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so, so look, I mean, obviously, he's, he's still a player kind of growing into himself. Again, hopefully, his confidence remains high. Stefan Ursfeld joining us from Germany talking Bundesliga. Please go follow him on Twitter, U E R S F E L D. Uh, Stefan, appreciate your insight and your time as always. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, Jason. Take care. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to transition to American Topics. Talk Orlando City Soccer Club with Paul Tenorio from the Orlando Sentinel. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis.
1: Here we are back on Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Joined now on the telephone by Paul Tenorio of the Orlando Sentinel down where it's nice and warm, and I'm extremely jealous. Paul, how are you today?
0: I'm doing well. I got the short sleeve polo shirt on. I'm on my way out to Orlando City practice where I can work on my tan. It's a beautiful day here.
1: Paul, I'm wearing layers indoors. Don't do this to me. All right. (laughs) So it's nice and sunny and warm down in Orlando as the club gets ready uh, for the new season. And you know, uh, CBA issues aside, Paul, I imagine that the enthusiasm in the city has got to be taken off. I, I've seen um, I've seen reports of as many as forty thousand tickets sold for that opening game. Is are they going to make their goal of a sellout? I mean, forty thousand is impressive. Yeah,
0: you know, I think forty thousand was kind of for me the magic number. Um, I think they needed to hit forty thousand no matter what, and so I think. I think anything over this is a bonus. I think it'll be hard to get to fifty one thousand. Um, but you know, I didn't expect them to get to forty thousand this soon and, and I I will say I've, I say to people all the time, I've learned not to doubt Orlando City and Phil Rollins when they decide that something's gonna get done, usually it ends up getting done. So um there's certainly a lot of enthusiasm. I think there have been a lot of people who have kind of been watching Orlando City from a distance who are deciding, hey, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and try out this opener see what the buzz is all about. Be a part of an event at the very least. Say I went to the first soccer game in Orlando at the very least. First MLS soccer game in Orlando. Um, and be a part of it. You know, they they announced 40,000 plus in sales. I think that's you know, including the the final 2,000 or so season tickets that are still being shopped as well as some group sales that are being finalized still. But when you go on Ticketmaster, the entire lower bowl is sold out. Uh, I saw less than 50 seats available on Ticketmaster in the Plaza level. So for the general public the only thing i saw open was the the upper tiers now so they are definitely getting into that area where and hey, maybe if the the sales keep them up at this rate they could be looking at with the right walk up crowd hitting 50,000 pretty pretty impressive
1: that is very impressive and and you know I, I i'm i'm looking into things happening in orlando this morning as i get ready to talk to you and i came across a uh a piece by uh, Mike Bianchi at your paper that sort of indicates that, you know, with the way that things are going for the Orlando Magic of the NBA, that, that maybe there's an opportunity here. Do you see it as as sort of that kind of balance in the city? Is there a chance that Orlando City can capitalize on something that's not going well for the Magic?
0: No doubt. I mean, I think there were a lot of things that were right timing-wise for Orlando City when they came to the city looking to build a stadium to, to make an MLS team happen here. Um, the economy was rebounding. There's a mayor here who is very focused on revitalizing downtown through entertainment and building entertainment venues, um, and that was a huge piece of it. And uh, the tourism taxes coming back into play, that was a big part of it. And I think another big part of it was the fact that the magic has been so bad now for so long, and there's no real light at the end of the tunnel. Um, this city is kind of starved for a team that can represent it in a in a Positive, winning way, and I think that you know Orlando City coming into USL and winning and winning a lot. I mean, they've won more games in their first 100 games of existence than any soccer team in, in American history. Um, I think all of that played a huge role in, in what they've been able to do in this community. And I think because Orlando Magic is still struggling, and because um, there's still no sense really of when this plan is going to come to an end, when they're going to start winning games, Orlando City is the perfect. Uh, I guess second option for some fans who don't know anything about soccer is to say, okay, where am I going to go spend $125 with my kids this weekend? Am I going to take them to a magic game and watch them lose? Or am I going to take them to watch soccer, entertaining soccer with a winning team? And I think they're, you're going to see a lot of that type of fan trying things out through these first couple games.
1: You know, in a city that is built around its tur- tourism industry and and obviously you know, it's, uh, the, the, there's got to be a healthy use of, of discretionary funds to go entertain the family in that area. I'm not, obviously people are flying into Orlando all over the place, but even the locals, you know, you can go to Disney World, uh, Disney World, you can go to Sea World, you can hit all these places, Universal Studios. Is there a sense that maybe in the terms of the sports realm, Orlando City is going to be more bang for your buck than the Magic? I would imagine that's got to be the case.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the case. You, you know, you can, you're definitely get, able to get some cheaper keep. I mean, I think, to me, that that's a bigger factor with the local because with the Magic, Orlando City's average ticket prices are are less, uh, uh, are you know not significantly so, but when you factor in the fact that there's 41 home games of basketball versus 17 or 20 you're paying for with Orlando City, the overall price of a season ticket is significantly less of an investment, and thus much easier for families here to say, okay, I'm going to be able to buy four season tickets for Orlando City and afford it and still have, you know, a little bit of uh, income left over, whereas if I go and spend four tick- uh, money for four tickets of the Orlando Magic, you know, that's uh, a significantly higher investment, and you're not seeing very many wins when you go to the game. So um, I think that's a big, big area that Orlando City is trying to hit hard. I think they're looking at um, getting out into some of the suburbs and trying to find some ticket um, sales there. Obviously, the major market that they're going after is the Millennials, the young, the younger fans, 18 to 34 is their market, and I think that's where you're gonna see the bulk of these ticket sales happen. But absolutely in an area that, that there's a ton of competition for the entertainment dollar, I think Orlando City can, can sell itself as being the, the cheaper, more affordable, uh, athlete sports entertainment option, uh, over the Orlando Magic. And, and they win, or at least they have.
1: Right, you know they have won in the past. It's it's you know it'll behoove them to put on a uh, put a competitive team on the field right off the 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 right off the bat in order to keep those those new people in, interested in the team around, especially if they buy season tickets. And to that point, I mean we know the stars and and you and I have talked over some of the roster building issues um that face Adrian Heath, and I, I think they've done a fairly good job so far. Although we don't know what it's going to manifest like on the field, Breck Shea, in particular was not only an interesting signing because he he. Failed in England and came back, and and we wondered about his salary and all of those things. But now it appears that not only is he, uh, you know, is he coming back to MLS to regain some of his previous momentum, but he's also going to switch positions at the club level. Is that is that something that they're working on? Breck Shea, is they left back now.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, right now, that's where he's playing. That's where he's working. And you know, for me, it's been interesting because first of all, if you've ever seen Breck Shea in person, he's a big guy. Yeah. I mean, six foot three. Good frame. He's a big dude, and you don't see big guys like that at left back or fullback very often. So um, he, he's, just, he's he's he still got those kind of offensive instincts, getting forward up the field. But the good thing for Orlando City is that is what their system is built around. They play a four-two-three-one with the wingers pinched in, going towards goal to create these lanes for the outside back to get forward. It is very well designed for Breck Chase skill set. It's the way to be able to get. Their best players on the field at once. Carlos Rivas, the kid they said from Deportivo Cali. They are very excited about him. He led Deportivo Cali in scoring last year in Columbia. They feel like he can be a very dynamic player in this league. He's probably going to be one of the fastest players in the league. And and now you're able to get both Rivas and Shea on the field at the same time on the same side of the field and really put some pressure on an opposing back line. So, you know, I, I was impressed with what I saw from Breck in the – the U.S. National Team camp. I thought in the 3-5-2, he looked a little bit confused. A lot of people looked confused in that formation. They had never played it before. You're asking, got to drop back to play left back in a hybrid left wing position. I think that's asking a lot. I thought he looked much better when they went to the 4-2-3-1 in the second game. And I thought he looked very good the other day in Orlando City scrimmage against B.K. Hackett. So, um, right now, I think it's looking good. There are going to be some some spots you have to iron out. He's still He's not always quite sure when to go forward, when to stay back. Uh, but you know, I think that's the kind of stuff that comes just with
2: repetition and minutes.
1: Uh, certainly, but uh, you know, it's a question of whether or not they have the time to give him the repetition repetition in the minutes before the season starts. Maybe uh maybe a work stoppage would benefit Brexit on that. No, I'm kidding, of course. That would mean no, no,
0: I, I think they're they're willing to to take their lump and win the season. I mean, look, this is a team that... I think fans are going to have to realize, and even I'm starting to look at this team and watch them go through these growing pains and these preseason scrimmages. I'm saying, you, know, you kind of forget, you know, this is a team that wins a lot. Adrian he's is very confident. He knows how he wants his system to function, and you know, some of the better players that they went and got are are not looking as good as you'd expect them to look. But because they're learning a new system, they're they're trying to think their way through games and where do I go with the ball now? Where do I position myself now instead of just playing? And I think people forget, you know, this is going to be a team early in the season that's got 24 new faces on it. Yeah. You know, only eight kids came up from the USL. You know, it's going to take time for them to gel. And I would expect some of those early games maybe not go their way or maybe they have to fight just to get a point or... Maybe they win one nothing, and they're bunkered in a little bit more than they would like because mm-hmm. they have to fight through these, these this growing process, these these kind of learning moments of how the system functions best, how each how each player plays within the system. And and as the season goes on, I think they're going to get better and better and more confident. So the early part of the season, not just for Breck Shea, but for a lot of players, even guys like the Moby I mean, it's going to be a learning process mm-hmm. because what are you being asked to do as a Defensive midfielder in, in Adrian Key's system is different than what he was asked to do in Philadelphia, and, and and I think a lot of different players are going to be kind of going through those pains early in the season.
1: Yeah, and this is why, regardless of how good the roster looks on paper, and yes, there's talent here, and as you said, some of these guys came up, but this is why we all we all we obviously look at expansion teams and. And question whether or not they can be, you know, competitive on a playoff level in year one because there's so much work that has to be done. There's so much understanding that has to be gained over the course of playing actual meaningful minutes with each other against a team that really wants to kick you and score goals on you. And then maybe you're not getting that full level in preseason. Um, one one area of the field that, that we obviously talked about left back and Breck Shea, but in terms of center defense, I mean, uh, a brilliant call in making the move from Sporting Kansas City. And you and I were talking before the, uh, before we came on the air that, that finding a partner for him is, is a thing that they're dealing with right now. And there are reports that Seb Hines might be coming over. Um, is that, is that something that you expect to be done very short, shortly?
0: Yes. I, uh, you know, I reported that it was, uh, close to being done. I, I wouldn't be surprised that when I get out to practice here in the next few minutes that, uh, that it might be official by then. I, I, I would expect it to be announced in the next couple of days. I think Sean St. Ledger... Who was on trial with DC United earlier this offseason is another guy who might have an offer on the table, might be finalizing a deal with Orlando City. They need another center back that they can start the season with. Um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. I think that you know you have Aurelian Collin and you know what he brings to the table. Um, Adrian Heath system is one in which you really put a lot on the center back to be able to distribute, um, to be good on the ball, to be very very good passing center back, and and so you're not going to ask Aurelian Collin to do that. So the person you're pairing with him, you want to be very good on the ball. You want his strength to be more in distribution. Let Collins clean things up. Um, somebody that can kind of play off of him. Uh, so far in preseason, the best defender I've seen in, as a center back next to Collins has been Connor Donovan, the 20-year-old, uh, super drastic out of NC State, U.S. under 20. But he's more of a physical uh, center back, kind of what you what you'd maybe lean more towards the Aurelian Collins type in the sense of his strength. He's still kind of getting better on the ball. He still has to understand how quickly you have to play at the pro level. And so while he may look the best defensively, he might not be what they need right there at center back. So this is part of that preseason thing. Is, you know, here we are just, what, three weeks away from the season opener, and they're bringing in two new center backs because they realize, okay, we didn't have the right piece here to, to slot in next to Colin, we've got to get it figured out before the opener. So, you know, th- that'll be interesting to see. I thought Sean St. Ledger's looked, he looked decent in two scrimmages and, and Seb Hines felt so bad for the kid. He flies in from Middlesbrough, gets off the plane a few hours later, he's on the field in a scrimmage, uh, gives up a harsh penalty kick and then scores on a header. So it's kind of an up and down <laughs> day for him as first say an Orlando City yeah, colors. For anybody um, who, but that's something to keep an eye on.
1: For anybody who doesn't know the story of Seb Hines, he is um um he's he's American and he's English. He's been he's played at Middlesbrough. He went through a stretch where he was making a name for himself and, and, and had some uh, had some quality runs of play. Do you know what happened there and why? I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at his recent uh, run. Derby County on loan, yeah. zero appearances. Oldham on loan, four appearances. Coventry City on loan this season, nine appearances. It just hasn't something's gone wrong there. And he's 26. What's do you know what the deal is? Yeah,
0: no, he's had some injury issues. I think that's been a big problem. Like you said, he had a good run of form for about three seasons there, with playing consistently and starting to make a name for himself. Picked up an injury. Um, and then I, it kind of was one of those muscle type injuries. I, I believe um, I'm hoping to speak to him today. That kind of you know snowballs, right? You get you you work your way back from it. Maybe you come back a little bit too soon. I guess maybe one of the better MLS examples would be like Chris Pontius or something, where you just can't ever get over it and it keeps coming up and coming up. Um, I, I've been told that that's been one of the bigger issues. They really thought um, a lot of people in Middleborough in that area liked what they what they got out of that. time They thought he was a quality player. Um, But once those injuries started to happen, he was just never able to get back up to form and, you know, fight his way back into the team. So I think this is a little bit of a second chance for him just to get minutes. And you know, his contract's up in six months, so it'll be a six-month loan, and then he'll be a free agent in the summer. Obviously, Orlando City will have an option to buy at that point. Um, But yeah, I think he's a guy that just needs to show he can stay healthy and get back to the form he was in. Uh, when he was playing day in, day out for Millsboro.
1: Last question here before I let you go, Paul. Uh, I know you're headed out to practice. Christopher on Twitter wants to know if Orlando has any plans to syndicate games to cities outside of Orlando in Florida. He says he lives in Tampa and he wants to watch. Are you aware of any ability to watch games on local television in Tampa? Uh,
0: that's a good question. I've been trying to figure that out. I, I know that they had been in kind of initial discussions with the Tampa and Jacksonville market. They certainly want to be in both of those markets. It, it, it increases their brand significantly. If you combine the Tampa and Orlando market, TV market, it becomes like the number four market in the country or something crazy like that, or uh, maybe it's top 10. But um, I don't know if anything finalized there. I don't know how far uh, my Fox 35 or whatever the local station is called in Tampa, um, if they have an affiliation with Fox 35, that they'll show them. Um, as of right now, I don't think it's that there will be games in Tampa that are shown, on, are shown on local TV there, but I do believe that the club is working to see if they can arrange something. So whether that gets done this season, I don't know, but I think it's something that Orlando City definitely wants to make happen um, in the coming years.
1: Well, let's just hope that, I mean, there's been some issues in the past. Let's hope that these people in Tampa who want to watch the games, if it's not on local television, that their MLS Live version's not blacked out because these things tend to happen, and uh, that's that would be bad. Obviously, it would be uh, be great for Orlando City to have a presence in both of those cities. Although both those cities have have soccer of their own, Paul. How is that Yeah, I mean yeah, Tampa Rowdies aren't gonna to be too happy with the idea a- of
0: Orlando look- City being shown on their T V. They don't like Orlando City very much. A- I think that's part of the the issue. And even Orlando City's like, no, we don't wanna be their 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 diehard fans they know that don't give the Tampa Rowdy fans <laughs> any uh any Orlando City to watch. So um uh, kind of an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, and now you're right. Jack can go with the Armada there yeah. too. They've got their own club to market and sell as well. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But certainly I think, you know, knowing Orlando City and know how hard knowing how hard they push and market the team, I I I would be surprised if they don't find some way to have some kind of presence in those markets because it just it would be huge for them to be able to claim, you know, all of Central Florida and and stretching up into that north north Florida area as
2: well. Mm -hmm.
1: Paul Denorio from this Orlando Sentinel covering uh, Orlando City Soccer Club, make sure you go follow him on Twitter. It's Paul Tenorio. Paul, thank you very much for your time, man.
0: Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.
1: I'll talk to you soon. Let's take a break when we come back. Twitter machine will be working. Phone lines will be open. We'll talk about this USA jersey that just came out. The US, uh, USA away jersey. Get your thoughts on that. Soccer morning, world soccer talk. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
0: welcome back to soccer morning on backheel.com with jason davis
1: it's soccer morning brought to you by world soccer talk we are at home now at world soccer talk Good stuff happening around here. Welcome. If you're—is if this is the first time you've ever listened or checked out Soccer Morning, thank you very much for your patronage. Hopefully you like what you've heard so far. Now is the time when we open up those phone lines and we get that Twitter thing working and you guys get your say on anything we've discussed so far, but also anything else that's on your mind. And I'm telling you right now, Twitter burning up with discussion of the U.S. national team away kit. It's not good is the most, is the uh, common opinion. It's not, it's not good. It's great, as Trevor says, it looks like a Photoshop default gradient. Now, I know that's that's a language only some of you speak, but I get what he means. 347-756-6276 is the phone number to jump on in here at Soccer Morning. Save it to your phone. I wish I could take texts on that number. That'd be great. I gotta be able to take, I gotta find some way to get texts, Trevor. People like to text. 203, you're on the air.
2: Hey, Jason, it's Roberto.
1: Hey, Roberto, what's going on, man?
2: I'm doing well. Um, my first question to you is, what's your prediction for, uh, Chelsea PSG tomorrow?
1: Uh, I would say, uh, wait, 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 the first leg is where? Harris. Uh, well, uh, I think if, uh, Chelsea comes out with a 1-1 draw, that would be, they'd be ecstatic about that. Uh, I'd go with that.
2: Okay. Do you think the um effect of slaton will play
1: some huge effect on the match? The effect, the what of slaton The the power presence. of the what presence, the presence. of Zlatan. of course. I mean, well, I mean, look, Zlatan is a is an amazing player, and he can take games over by himself. But he does. There are occasions where he gets frustrated, or you know, there's there's a, a lack of of service, and he can get he can kind of drift out of games. I mean, if anybody is capable of doing that to to the, to Zlatan. It's going to be Chelsea, right? And and you can imagine that Jose Mourinho, away from home in the Champions League, is going to figure out a way to nullify Zlatan Ibrahimovic somehow. I mean, I don't like John Terry, but the man can defend. So, it, 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 I would I would suggest that while Zlatan is is capable of taking over the game, more than likely he's going to be a uh, an occasional nuisance, and and maybe he scores, but I don't think that I don't think PSG necessarily brings uh, goes back to london with a big advantage.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um my next question to you is, do you think the um do you think Barcelona have the chance of winning the treble this year given their form so far?
1: I mean, how are you going to argue with that? But then again, we just came off that stretch where Real Madrid was on fire and they couldn't lose and you thought that they, maybe they were just going to run away with everything in Spain. So, I mean, before we get a- ahead of ourselves and think, okay, well, because Barcelona looks amazing right now, clearly, uh, clearly they're the team to beat in Spain. That they've got a chance at uh, at all at all three. I, and I I even saw, and I don't know where I saw this, and it's not a question I've asked, but somebody put out there, yeah, the, those those Pep teams won all those trophies, but maybe this team's even better than those Pep teams. I, I don't know if I want to go that far. I mean, it, clearly success as a team is what you define the era by, but. In terms of the firepower that they have, in terms of the ability that they have across, especially across that front line, I mean, there's not a team in the world that can, that can compete with that right now.
2: Even Real Madrid.
1: Uh, even Real Madrid at this point. I mean, not only because Ronaldo has, has obviously had a couple of bad games and, and everything else, but I mean, you, you just don't, Kareem Benzema is not, he's a, he's a great player. He's a great goal scorer, but I don't think he's on Suarez's level when Suarez is at his best. Obviously, Neymar is, is, Otherworldly at times, so I mean, I, they, they, you know, really, every other team in the world covets what both of those clubs have. But I think you have to give Barcelona the edge. And again, as you said, the form right now, the form is insane. Now they are still a point back of of Real Madrid, so you know they got some work to do in the league. And I don't think that Madrid is just going to fade away.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's only going to come down to the um, El Clasico. Depending on who wins this match, is literally all set to um win the league.
1: Yeah, there you go. I got anything else, man? Uh,
2: yeah, just one more. Uh, what are you looking forward to in Europa League on Thursday? Any matches I, I, I you have in particular?
1: Okay. I haven't even looked at the schedule, man. I, I'm sorry. I look. I, you know, it's not that I don't think Europa League. Yeah, you know, I don't think it, it's not that I don't think it has value. It, it's got some value. It's just, I'm more of like when it's sh- when when the day comes, when Thursday comes, then I look at the schedule and go, oh, that's okay. Maybe I'll watch that game. Or oh, here's a. Here's an interesting, you know, here's an interesting tie. What 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 round are we in the Europa League? Round of 32. they we're in the round, round yeah, we're in the round of 30. There's still 32 teams. Here, let me look at these. Let me look at these games while you're on the I'm pretty sure there's
2: some Jason, I'm pretty sure there's something that No, I'm sure.
1: I'm sure there is. My point is that I don't think about it until we get to the games, until we get to Thursday. Like, okay, let's see. Uh Wolfsburg and, and Sporting. That's not that's I could be interested in that. PSV and Zenit. Okay. Maybe there's something there. Uh, Roma Feyenoord. Okay. Um, let's see. What have, what else? Uh, Liverpool Besiktas. Okay. I mean, there might be something there to be interested in. Uh, Celtic and Inter. Okay. There's, there's a, at least in terms of the club size, there's two big clubs going at each other. I would imagine that Inter is, well, I don't know. I mean, at, at this point, Celtic's got no challenge in, in Scotland. Uh, let's see what <laughs> Spur, Spurs and Fiorentina. Okay. there that, that might be the game because I am, I, I do enjoy the, <laughs> I do enjoy the, the consistent Thursday afternoon Spurs match that we get because they're always in the Europa <laughs> League. It's always fun. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, absolutely.
2: And, and Harry,
1: go ahead. All right. I, what, uh, well, uh, Trevor is saying the Kane train. So they're all, there are, uh, there is the hurry, the hurricane, Harry Kane. Yeah.
2: Hurricane, yeah, definitely. It's one of those hipster competitions, if you think about it.
1: Well, yeah, and, and you know what? We're gonna do this in the future. I still, we've still yet to convince producer Trevor to get a microphone that is of decent enough quality for him to get on the air here. But the man is—we need to get Trevor on the air. We need to get Trevor on the air, and we're well. One day, we're gonna play. Where's that club from with Trevor Hayward on this program? Because I'm telling you, it does. I mean, the round of 32, it gets a little easier. But I'm talking about the beginning of the Europa League with some of these clubs that you don't, eat, you have never heard of in your life that sound like somebody threw a bunch of letters together in a Scrabble bag and just p- started pulling them out. <laughs> Trevor knows where every single one of these clubs plays their domestic soccer. It's amazing. You got anything else? They're genius. a genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His head is filled with useful knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, All right, I appreciate the phone call. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. Get in. Uh, on anything you'd like to, whether it's, uh, yeah, there you go. Some La Liga talk. Clearly, Barcelona transcendent right now. Absolutely transcendent. And we, we did some Bundesliga, um, earlier in the show with our friend Stefan Ersfeld. Uh, if you missed it, talked some, uh, some Wolfsburg, some Bayern Munich, obviously, Julian Green at Hamburg. Uh, all interesting topics. Here's something that I think we need to, to consistently hit on between now and August, Trevor. Trevor is extremely excited about this. The Bundesliga arrives on a channel that you actually get in the United States in 2015, 2016. That's a big deal. It is Fox, right? Fox has got the Bundesliga, uh, the, the the Fox has got the Bundesliga rights. Am I wrong about that one? Okay. I, I, I'll wait on the confirmation of where those rights, uh, uh, who's, to to whom those rights belong. I think, I think it's Fox. Speaking of television rights. Yeah, it is Fox. Speaking of television rights, uh I found it interesting that ESPN decided to respond to the news that Fox was given the rights to the 2026 World Cup in the United States, that they were not given the opportunity to bid for those rights. Now, clearly, ESPN got outbid for 2018 and 2022 after putting on a fantastic show for the 2010 and 2014 World Cups. And some people in this country were obviously dismayed to hear that Fox had secured those rights. And we all, we're all watching closely to see what Fox does, what kind of investment they put into the game, not just at the international level, but when they do the women's, uh, well, not just at the international men's level, when they do the women's world cup this summer, when they take on MLS this year, we want to see that quality up, go up and up and up. And ESPN obviously not too happy about Fox being handed the 2026 World Cup rights. Now, again, the the thinking is that this is a uh, this is giving Fox a, a bonus because the World Cup of twenty eight uh, 2022 is going to be moved to the winter. That changes the value of that tournament for Fox. They may have complained and and threatened lawsuits. And this is a way for FIFA to mollify them. But as I said, ESPN not too happy. Six oh seven, you're on the air. Hey man, thanks for taking my.
2: Uh, my call. Um, I gotta say, doesn't doesn't everyone hate the jerseys every year when they come out? Last year, last year was the the, the firecracker jerseys. Yeah. Nobody liked those. Yeah. Nobody likes the home jerseys. They're too plain. They're too white. Hey, I
1: I own a bomb pop firecracker jersey, and I actually like it. Now, I'm not wearing it out in public on a daily basis, but I like it. I'm okay with it. I think it's interesting. This one, I mean, th- really, th- this one. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, look, it's subjective. It, it, everybody's got a different fashion sense. Maybe this looks better on the field than it does disembodied on your internet stream. I mean, it could, it could be, but you're right. People tend to hate them, but also it's all, that's also because Nike hasn't been really impressing recently.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe, maybe we just need Alexi Lawless to model it again and then that'll get people on board.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they also cost what, what's the cost of one right now? An authentic. Is it a buck twenty? I don't know.
2: I, th- I saw eighty dollars on one site, but I is, don't know. But is
1: that eighty dollars replica? Because I think the authentic version is one hundred twenty bucks.
2: Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. that makes and sense.
1: That, and that's that's where people get upset. It's not only are you producing ugly jerseys, and not only are you, I mean,
2: then you're going to charge, then for you're,
1: yeah. you're going to charge me one hundred twenty dollars for it. not not fifty or sixty or eighty, but one hundred twenty bucks. Now, the issue is, you know, again ugly or not my thing has always been I think a lot of people's thing has always been please give us and I uh, give us some look that becomes consistent that makes you know that, that connects to the United States men's national team or the women's national team for that matter give us a look give us an American look I mean the Brazil plays in yellow okay we got that you know um Argentina plays in the blue and white stripes we we know that so why not give us something that that is American that we can hold on to from from year to year to year to year. Why don't, yeah, why don't we do I that? Hear you. I and, hear you. and why don't we play in red more often? Now I actually know the story of why we don't play why we didn't play in red for a very long time. Uh but red should be part a bigger part. This one is straight blue. I I know that the Bomb Pop kid had some serious red in it, but you know, let's let's come on. Let's be more creative here. All right man, you got anything else?
2: Uh no, I'm that's it. Thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it, man. One.
1: I appreciate the phone call. 347 756 6276. We stay here. Uh, we stay here until the phone calls stop. That's pretty much what we do on a daily basis. Again, if you're new to the program, if you've uh, navigated over to World Soccer Talk and this is the first time you've ever seen Soccer Morning, heard Soccer Morning, that's what we do. We have some excellent discussions with some quality guests every single day. We take your phone calls. We respond to the news that's out there. The news in the world of soccer, whatever that may be, whether it's here, abroad, Mexico, South America. I know we got some Copa Lib to start to get into. Champions League, as we just talked about. Europa League. There's a lot of things going on. MLS ramping up towards its season. CBA negotiations. Apparently they're going nowhere. Federal mediators now involved. So that has officially happened. The league and the players have said, hey, you know what? We're not getting anywhere. Let's bring in some impartial people to try to help figure this out. And I think maybe, look, we are getting to the point now. It's uh, February 16th. A season starts on March 6th. So you essentially have three weeks. Not even three weeks. So I guess the question here, for all of you MLS fans out there, is how nervous are you? On a scale of 1 to 10. Are you starting to get, you know, you starting to get the jitters over the fact that the MLS season might not start on time? I can tell you I'm at like a 6 right now. And it's it's not going down, it's going up. The federal mediators might hold it in place for a week or a couple of days. But every time the players start talking about strike, and every time we hear nothing out of the owners in terms of budging on free agency, I start to believe we're getting closer and closer to that work stoppage. I don't know how long the players can hold out. I, I don't know how long they can go without getting paid, especially on the lower end. I mean, obviously, Kaká can go forever. Michael Bradley can go a very long time. Jose Altidore, Robbie Keane. But beyond those guys, Clint Dempsey, but beyond those guys, there, there's a host of players. At the lower end of the pay uh, pay scale in MLS. Who are going to find it very difficult to put food on the table. After a couple of weeks of not playing. Maybe it doesn't take that long. Maybe it only takes two weeks. But I I think it's a disaster for, for both sides if there's a work stoppage. That doesn't mean I think I know who should blink first. Or who's going to blink first. We know that the owners have all of the power here. Because they have the money too. For some of these owners, and I, I believe this is true, for some of these owners, not playing games is actually going to save them money. It's not going to be that they, they're they losing money because the games have, have, haven't started yet. It's, it's that they're saving money because they're not in the red every week. And that's got to be troubling from a fan perspective as well. So hit us up on Twitter at soccer morning with your thoughts as to how nervous you are about an MLS work stoppage. Again, scale of one to 10. 10 being, holy crap, it's, it's, I'm freaking out. One being, I'm not worried about it at all. Where do you fall? Let's get uh, ready to wrap up this program. Hayes on Twitter. Oh, we got a phone call. We'll, we'll drop one more in. 856, you're on the air. Hi, how you
2: doing? I'm, uh, I'm actually really nervous that the MLS season doesn't start
1: so on time. Like a, Like an eight or a nine at this point?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm real nervous. I actually have been really looking forward to uh, the season and really excited to watch the new clubs come in. But I don't think it's going to happen on time.
1: <clears throat> is and I mean again, I mean the the question is what kind of collateral damage this has on on MLS and their place in uh in American sports in in soccer for soccer fans. I mean, look, it's not like when the MLS season starts, that's the only soccer available. When the MLS season starts. You're, you're spending your, a lot of people are spending their morning watching Premier League. Maybe they don't, maybe they just go, Oh, now I got a Saturday night to go out. I don't have to watch a game anymore. I don't have to feel obligated. And we know that the, the MLS television ratings are the key to the future of the league. And how can you grow those ratings and, and leverage those consistent time slots if you don't have games to start the season after you built up to all of this?
2: Yeah, that's what I like doing. I like waking up in the morning on Saturdays, you know, being able to watch the Premier League and other stuff on like end Sport and everything. And then, Later in the day, you like, say, at the union games or even watch soccer on TV at the MLS. And yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. So I feel like they're never going to reach a deal.
1: I think they will get there eventually. I think the players can't hold out forever. Uh, and that's this, maybe the sad part. If you're on the player side, please get ready for them to not get their, what they want out of this. They are, there's going to be a deal. There will be a season this year.
2: Yeah, but it's whether it starts on time or not is the big, uh,
1: yeah, it's 100% about whether they start on time. I appreciate the phone call, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks a All lot right, for listening. couple of thoughts on Twitter. CT Pro Soccer, with the weather as bad as it is, does the CBA matter at this time? Hey, you know, you're starting in Orlando. You're starting, you know, in L.A. You get some stuff happening out that way. The weather's fine. Uh, D-Pep NYC, fires of fate on Twitter. Why is it whenever I get into a sport a strike is involved? I'm at a 7 right now. Uh, there you go. Uh, we have our friend d Jenkins. He says he's at a 0. He's waited for years for a professional team in New York City. What's a couple more months? Well, it's, first of all, I hope it's not months. Second of all, I'm, I'm asking if you're nervous about the season not starting on time. I'm not saying if you can be patient and wait. Some, you know, look, I'm going to watch when it happens. I'm going to come back around MLS regardless of how long the work stoppage is, but you have to worry that the league is going to push some fans away with this thing. And that's, that's a serious question. Uh, Mr. JCTX, as much as I don't want to strike, the players have to get their CBA victory. If it means they stop work. Five, which means slightly nervous. So there you go. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Again, very excited to be partnered with World Soccer Talk. WorldSoccerTalk.com slash live is where you can go to watch the show Monday through Friday, 10 to 11 Eastern time. 347-756-6276 Now, 347-756-6276 is a number you should save in your phone or write down on a post-it and stick it to your computer at your desk or whatever right now do that follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning we're obviously on iTunes Stitcher TuneIn what else SoundCloud we're on SoundCloud Backheel on SoundCloud um, am I missing anything go buy a mug backheel.com slash store they're very nice I like my coffee and uh, go buy a t-shirt at 30FC.com as well. All right thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Stefan Ersfeld. Paul Tenori will talk to you tomorrow. Bye is running in my ear.